Welcome to Lincoln Hills Online. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning for another sermon in our Under God series. Uh, we're talking about under God and uh, using the Pledge of Allegiance. But, you know, the, the voting is over. The election year is, is done. Uh, I am very interested in the election and how it turns out. But we have an elected president for four more years, no matter who it is. So then the question is, now what? It's decision time. See, losers accept it, and winners practice humility. That's what I think needs to happen. Does that sound good to you? There's been so, many, so much bickering over this election. You see, but talk is cheap. If it's not given the right value and the right action... It's just talk. I remember when I was growing up, I was a teenager, and uh, my cousin Ronnie lived right behind me, sort of. We lived in the same block, and we lived right near our church. And it was a Methodist church, and we were in the MYF, which is a Methodist Youth Fellowship. And every year, we would hold elections for president and vice president and secretary and all those things. Well, uh, it was a small youth group, so one year Ronnie would be president and I'd get voted in at vice president. The next year I'd be president and he'd be vice president. But no matter how the kids voted, once it was done, it was over and everybody accepted and they backed whoever was in charge. I remember some times when our government was like that. When we held a national election and we got a new president and everybody kind of got in behind that president and worked together Today we're going to talk about uh, divisiveness. In other words, politics have a way of uh, dividing us because we have different ideas about what should be happening in that realm. Let me give you this statement. A contest should never negate my Christian responsibility. And I say that to say to you today that God still reigns no matter who is president. Have you ever noticed a football game? particularly on the, uh, the, the college and the pro level, uh, when that game's over, these guys have been intense for the whole game, four quarters. They have been banging and beating on each other. Sometimes their tempers flare. They say things that we can't hear, I'm sure, that are off color. But when the game ends, everybody converges from both sides to the middle of the field, and they start high-fiving and slapping and hugging on each other because these guys have been in competition against each other for years. They've gone to the same colleges or the colleges they were against. And, and the thing is, there's a winner and there's a loser. And that's it. It's over. They don't leave the field with these really bad feelings for each other. And when they play again, they'll be chummy again. And they'll play with all that intensity and do it again. I wonder why politics can't be that way. You see, in John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus prayed that we would be in unity. His body, the church, he prays for himself. He then prays for the apostles. And then he says, Father, I pray that, that all of them, all of those people that listen to my message through the apostles, 
that they will be one just as you and I are one. And the reason, he says, so that the world might know that you sent me. See, Jesus knows that the, that the church can't be divided. We have to be together, no matter what our politics are. You see, the church is already divided when you think about it. There's churches all over this county, over a hundred and something churches. Not many of them teach the same thing when it comes to salvation or other things. Theologically and doctrinally, churches teach different things. So we're already divided. And then you throw politics into it, you then have a real dilemma and a real issue. I want to ask, why can't we just get along? Uh, and then the question is, how can we just get along? Well, our dilemma is that we live as citizens of two kingdoms. We live in the kingdom of Satan, which is the world. God told us, He tells us in His Word about that. But we also, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are part of His body, if we're one of His disciples, we also live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So these two kingdoms put us at odds sometimes with each other. Now here's the thing. One of the greatest examples of these two kingdoms colliding is when Jesus was arrested. You know, they were at the Lord's Supper. They sang a hymn. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus pr uh, prayed that night. And He prayed that God might find another way to accomplish what He had to accomplish. But then He accepted God's will. And then the soldiers and the Jewish leaders came and they tied Jesus' hands and they arrested Him. He ended up before the governor, Pilate, with the decision whether or not he was going to be executed or not. And so we pick this up in verse 33 of the, uh, of the 18th chapter of John. Uh, and, and Pilate asked Jesus, he said, Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Here we have the government of Rome who has occupied the Jewish nation and we have Jesus, the Son of God, and He's on trial. The two kingdoms are colliding in this story. This conversation between Pilate and Jesus, very interesting. But let me tell you where it leads. The government and the church have two distinct functions, different functions. The government, uh, in fact, the government is put there to resist evil and to restrain evil. When Paul writes about this in Romans 13, 1 through 3, he ends up saying, For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. In other words, if you keep the law, then he says, But those who do wrong, there's a punishment if you break the law. In that same chapter, Paul explains that God established whoever's in authority. And I don't know about you, but that bends my mind a little bit sometimes when I think about it. Because I know through the ages we've had some really bad 
leaders and dictators and really bad presidents and, and leadership. But you have to understand, God established the power, the authority, and He gives the, the governments the power they have. In fact, Pilate says to Jesus in that conversation, He says, I am the power. And Jesus says, you have no power that didn't come to you from above. Now, Jesus and, and Pilate, uh, these two kingdoms are colliding. Well, if the government's job or function is to restrain evil, the function of the church is to make disciples. And that you cannot deny. We are to influence our culture for Jesus. Frank did a great job last Sunday talking about how Daniel and his friends influenced uh, the, the captors that had Israel even captivated and taken into a foreign land. But these guys stood their ground when it came to certain things. So they, they tried to influence the culture for God. And they did, in fact. See, the, the church is to make disciples. Here's the thing, guys. No matter who is elected president, the government will not and cannot change hearts. That is not the function of government. In Mark 12, 13, and you read down through that chapter, the Herodians and the Jewish leaders set a trap for Jesus. They decided we can trap him with this question, and we're going to give him a question that if, no matter how he answers it, if he answers it uh, for the, uh, on the side of the Roman government, he's going to be in trouble with them. If he answers it on the side of the Jewish faith, he's going to be in trouble with us. So we've got him. We've come up with a way to trap Jesus Christ. First of all, when you read this, you will read that, that these guys built Jesus up. They wait. They said, we know you preach the truth, Jesus. We know you're a good preacher and you're a good guy. I mean, they, and Jesus is thinking all along. In fact, it mentions in the scripture, Jesus knew exactly that they were trying to set a trap. They couldn't get one up on him. And here's what happens in that story. Uh, they come in and they said, Jesus, tell us. Should we pay taxes to the Roman government? Jesus said, well, why don't you bring me a coin? So they went and got a drachma, I believe, a coin, a, a, a Roman coin. He said, look on this coin. He says, whose image is this on both sides of it? He said, well, Caesar's, they answered. He said, well, then render to Caesar or give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is his. It stunned them. They never expected an answer like that. They thought they could trap him. Here's what Jesus is saying. We are to give ourselves to God, all of ourselves, everything about us. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and by faith you're baptized into Christ, you have been, your sins have been removed, you belong to Jesus. You belong to God through Jesus. So when you think about that, the question is then, how does a Christian respond to politics? How should we respond? We've just gone through this election season and it's, it's over and it may not completely be over. But there's some things that we need to think about when we're as Christians when it comes to politics. Number one, a Christian belongs to God first. That allegiance comes before the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag or the government or anybody else. It's... It's just the way we should live. We fulfill our spiritual mandate to make disciples. That's our role. I've already made that statement. 
The second thing we are to do is to pray. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul reminds a young preacher, Timothy, you need to pray and you need to pray intercessory prayer for people. And he mentions you need to pray for kings and for rulers. And he says you need to pray that, that they do good things because he says if you want to live a peaceful and a quiet life, then you need, you need to pray for your leaders. So we're to pray for people even if we didn't vote for them. Whoever the president is, we need to put them before God every day in our prayers because we want them to succeed. We want them to restrain evil in our culture. And as long as we're doing what the law requires, we won't be punished or be in trouble with them. So we ought to pray for those folks. We're to preach and teach. We are to teach everybody that comes to Christ how to live and love unconditionally. That means that I love people because they're created in God's image. That is so powerful. We're to teach people how to be good stewards of their money and good stewards of their time and, and how they can be a good disciple that will make another disciple. The fourth thing we can do is to live like Jesus. When you open the book of Acts to the second chapter, in the early church, it gives a description of these early Christians. And when you, when you start about verse 40 in chapter 2 of Acts, it says, with many other words, talking about Peter, Peter uh, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this perverse generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Listen. They devoted themselves. Here's how they were living. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All those things go into discipleship. And then he goes on. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. But listen, it had an effect. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Isn't that cool? They were so benevolent in their hearts. They had been changed by Jesus. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we live like Jesus, people are going to be baptized into Christ. I'll promise you that. So we, we can live like Jesus. And here's the fifth thing I want you to think about. Don't expect the government to do what the church is supposed to be doing. Our personal relationship with Jesus changes hearts and it changes lives. And that's what we're to be about. And the sixth thing is this. Don't expect the church to do what an individual disciple of Jesus can do. Here's the bottom line. Unity in the body of Jesus takes precedent over politics. No doubt about it. We are to think about our relationship with Jesus first. And are we honoring God and pleasing God with the way we're living our lives? You see, the government passes and in, enforces laws to restrain evil. Individual disciples of Jesus are to be real disciples who make real disciples. Here's my question to you. Which one of your citizenships gets the most attention? 
Is it the one of the government or is it the one of Jesus? Here's three practical things that you can do. We need each other. So we are to support each other. We are to love each other. We can't win our block a lot of times, the block we live on. We can't win our family to Jesus sometimes. We can't win our friends uh, to, to Jesus. How can we win this big world alone? Well, the answer is we can't. We have to work together because the church is a diverse uh, organization. has all kinds of people who reach, can reach other kinds of people. You can reach people this preacher will never reach. And, and that's the way God builds His church. Listen, the second thing that we can do practically, we can be for and not against something. We need to understand what we're for. We need to give it thought. And that way we can encourage others. We need to believe the best about people first. We can't judge them. We need to decide who we are and what we believe it's better to be for something than anti-everything and then anti-people. How are we going to win people to Jesus if we're, they, if we're against them? So we encourage them to come to Jesus. See, Jesus says we are to be for love. So that's what you can do and I can do. We can love people unconditionally. We need to be careful, though, with this thing of love. Love never, never strikes out truth. You know, you want to say, well, God loves everybody. Well, He does, but like God would say, you know, He loves everybody and He wants everybody to be back with Him, but not everybody accepts Him. So you have to be careful with that, that all-inclusive love. No matter who wins in an election like we've just gone through, I would encourage you not to be a jerk. If, if, if you lost, don't be a jerk. If you won... Practice humility. Don't be a jerk in the, that other direction either. Listen, accept the will of the people if it was a fair and a truthful election because we all have the ability to vote. And look, if you didn't vote, you don't have a voice. You just can't talk about anything then. That conversation's over before it gets started. We are Jesus' people first. We are not Democrats, we're not Republicans or Independents or Libertarians. We are citizens of heaven first. Don't forget that. In Philippians 3.20, Paul writes and he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what, that sums it all up, does it not? We need to be known for what we are and for not not for what we are against. The third thing and last thing is we need to love like Jesus. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How, how Jesus says they're going to know you belong to me by your love, not by your argument over who's going to be president. He says, they will know you're my disciples if you love one another. I love what Paul writes when he, he's given inspiration by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, love, this unconditional agape love, love for Christian brothers and sisters. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Here's the thing. 
one nation under God, indivisible. That's what we're talking about. We cannot let any election or any politics divide the body of Jesus. We are first to keep the unity of faith. Do you have a strong opinion? Absolutely. Most people do. Does that make your opinion right? Not always. Nobody's right all the time. Nobody's right every time they say something. We can't always be right, but we can always be loving. And I believe that. No matter who wins an election, we must not lose our love for one another. We're the body of Christ. We're indivisible. We cannot be divided by anything. Listen, we need each other. We need to be for something and not against something or someone. And we need to love like Jesus. We're one nation under God, indivisible. We are citizens of heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and for your care of us. We thank you for the opportunity to serve as a citizen of your kingdom. Father, help us to do our best to be good disciples, that we might make other disciples. Lord, bless this time we share together. Watch over us and keep us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.